Two people get into an argument, a discussion. Eventually, it becomes a heated argument, I guess you could say. And finally, one says to the other, he says, well, I guess you're just ignorant. Now, that's, that, that would not be a compliment, would it? It's not very flattering at all. In fact, that's very offensive to many people to call somebody an ignoramus. That's just not good. That person is not just going to readily accept that and just smile and say, you know, you're absolutely right. <laughs> no, they're not going to do that. We don't like our intelligence being insulted, do we? But just what is ignorance? Well, ignorance is just simply the lack of knowledge of certain things. Did, did you know that there was a whole lot more things in this world and even beyond that we don't know about? That we just don't know? To that extent, every one of us is ignorant, isn't, aren't we? At that point, I mean, the lack of knowledge of certain things is considered ignorance. And sometimes we might say ignorance is bliss, don't we? Why do we say that? We might say that because we realize that there are just some things that we just don't want to know. There are things that we should know. There are things that we are better off not knowing in some cases. And we understand that. And sometimes, yes, ignorance is bliss. But the point of our message this morning is this, that there are just some things that we cannot afford to be ignorant about. This coming Saturday will be the 4th of July, America's birthday. We dare not be ignorant of the founding of this nation, the principles upon which it was built, from whence these principles were derived from the God of heaven and from his holy word. We need not be ignorant of that. But we better not be ignorant of the passage that says, righteousness exalteth the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people, Proverbs 14, 34. We better not be ignorant about the philosophies that have proven themselves over to fail, such as socialism or the, the danger of totalitarianism. We better not be ignorant of the history of our beloved land, even though there are so many that are trying to erase history, even as I'm speaking right now. But I want to focus to be on something even more important than that this morning. You see, there are just some things of which we cannot afford to be ignorant. And why? It's because they have eternal consequences. Eternal consequences. And I want you to notice this morning three admonitions from a couple of, of apostles about some areas where we cannot afford to be ignorant. Don't be ignorant. That's the title of our message this morning. And these two apostles, Paul and Peter, have spoke about the danger of being ignorant. And don't let that happen 
in these particular areas. First of all, we need not to be ignorant of God, right? Don't be ignorant about God. It is true that we cannot know everything there is to know about God. Deuteronomy 29, 29 always seems to come up that the secret things belong to him. But what do we know about God is the idea that these things that he has revealed to us. He has given us these things, 1 Corinthians 2.12. And they have been revealed to us in the process of inspiration. And then through God's revelation today in written form, we have that by the Holy Spirit from which we study called the Holy Bible. We're thankful for this. It helps us. It, it teaches us everything that we need to know about God and what he has revealed to us. So don't be ignorant about God, especially with what has, God has revealed for us. I need to know it. I need to make that my task in life, and so do you as well. I have decided to know everything I can about God's will for my life. And there is only one source from which we can find that information. And that is through his holy word. In Acts, the 17th chapter, Paul the apostle is making an entrance into the city of Athens and he becomes disturbed by what he saw. His heart is stirred within him when he looks upon the city and he finds what is in this city is that they have been wholly given to idolatry. Verse 22 of Acts 17. Now, verse, verse 16. But just like Corinth was known for its immorality, Athens was known for its idolatry. And these were an idolatrous people living in Athens when the text says that they were very a very superstitious people there in verse 22. Paul says, you are very superstitious. They were only re very religious, but they were idolatrous. Their religion was idolatry, you see. Perhaps more idols than there were people in this city. An idol on every corner. And Paul was amazed he was disturbed, but he was amazed. He was shocked. He was dumbfounded. It stirred within him a desire to preach the truth about God. Now, these Athenians, they wanted to hear more about what Paul was saying. He had already intrigued them, and some of them were even scoffing at what he was preaching concerning the resurrection of Christ. Now, these Athenians, the text says, like to hear some new thing. Verse 21. Tell us something new. Tell us something that will fascinate us. And so here in the city of Athens, known for its, quote, wisdom, we have Paul the Apostle standing up in the midst of Mars Hill and he preaches to these people of Athens, those who were idolatrous people, and what, he, and what did he need to preach to them was nothing but about the true God of heaven. The true God of heaven. And so, in verse 22, then Paul stood in the midst 
of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with the inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. This was an idolatrous city. They wanted to make sure that they honored every idol god there could possibly be. And if there was one that was overlooked, here's an idol for that one to the unknown God. Well, there is the true God of heaven that they had overlooked. The true God, the living God. They didn't know him. Paul said, I'm going to declare that God unto you. Paul was really saying that you cannot forget, that, that you can forget all these other gods that are nothing, that are idols that are only crafted by your own hands, but you better not be ignorant of the true God of heaven. You better know about him. And so what did Paul preach to these people in the city of Athens about God? He made it very clear that God is sacred, didn't he? Look at verse 23. He says, him declare I unto you. We do not serve a multitude of gods, but only one God, one God. All the other ones you can forget about, Deuteronomy 6, 4. Now we understand about the triune nature of God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, but still one God in nature, in essence. Isn't it wonderful to know that you don't have to worry about pleasing a multitude of idol gods, but just one true and living God? Psalm 96 and verse 4, For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Why? Because these other gods are simply false gods. They are idols. In Psalm 115, verses 4 through 7, he says, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. And then, of course, if you know anything about the Greeks, you know probably about the Greek mythology. You might have noticed in the word mythology, the word myth. Okay? It's based upon a myth. There is no such thing as Zeus or Poseidon or Athena. That's a myth. Mythology. And Paul said, I want to direct your attention toward the true God of heaven, the God who really does live. He is sacred. He is holy. He is distinct. He is set apart. He's the true God of heaven. He is sacred, number one, but he's also sovereign. Look at verse 24, if you will. 
God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples with hands, made with hands. He is the great creator, Genesis 1.1. Created all things. But then did not step back, did he not step back from his creation? Did he not step away from it? No. You see, he's still guiding, correcting, and doing all things through his creation. He is still with us even today. God still rules in the hearts of men and women. You see, our God, though he gives man free will, still will fulfill his will. And therefore we understand that God still rules and still has a role to play in this world in which we live. He did not just step away from it and just let it and just say, well, figure it out. He didn't. And we're thankful for he is still the Lord of heaven and in earth. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was lifted up with pride. And when he looked upon his kingdom to say, well, look what I've done. You know, look what I've done. Look what belongs to me. Look what has been built by my hands. And God says, you're going to be out in the midst of the field. You're going to be eating grass like oxen before the day's over. And you'll see, Daniel 4.32, you'll see who rules in the affairs of men. The true God of heaven. He is sacred. We better know that. He's also sovereign. And then number three, he is spirit. John 4, 24. God is spirit. That is, he is not flesh and blood. And the text here says that he dwells not in temples made with hands. Acts 17, 24. You cannot confine him to such. You cannot, he cannot be confined to space. Psalm 139. He cannot be confined to time. 2 Peter 3 and verse 8. He's not made of flesh and blood, but he is spirit. Now Paul says something else here. Not only is God sacred, not only is God sovereign, not only is God spirit, but he's also the sustainer. Look at Acts 17, 25. Neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath, and all things. But then look at verse 26. And hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. And then verse 28. For in him we live and move and have our being. How dependent are we upon God? How dependent are we? What about the air we breathe? He provides that. What about the sunshine that rose up this morning? He provides that. What about the rain that we had just a few days ago? He provides that. You see, we are very dependent upon the true God of heaven. Him declare I unto you, is what Paul said to the Athenians. 
how God is sacred, he is sovereign, he is spirit, and he is the sustainer, then all should what? Seek him and him only. He is to be sought. And thus in verse 27, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. All should seek the Lord. Why? So we can know the Lord. So we can know God. Paul says you better know him. And earlier Isaiah had written, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him when he is near. Isaiah 55, 6. And so this true God of heaven, don't be ignorant of him, Paul admonishes. There are some things that maybe ignorance is bliss, but don't be ignorant of God because that won't be bliss. You want to know the God of heaven. But then number two, now we're not to be ignorant of God, but we better not be ignorant of the devil also. You might think, well, why do I need to know him? Yeah, he's, he's your enemy. We need to know our enemy, right? You see, we don't know everything there is to know about the devil. But because God loves us and because God has provided for us his message of redemption, the pages of Holy Scripture, he warns us about our deadly enemy. Now listen to the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 11. And notice what he says. He makes it very clear that we need to be aware of Satan. So don't let Satan... He says, get an advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. There is no reason. There is no reason that we should be lacking in our knowledge or our understanding of how Satan works within our lives. But if we're going to be ignorant about the devil, we will pay a heavy price because of it. We need to know the enemy. Don't be ignorant of the devil. Well, we don't know everything there is to know about Satan, but there are some things we do know. We don't know a whole lot about his origin, but we do know he is not deity. That he does not possess the attributes of deity. When we speak about God and the devil, we're not talking about a, a good God, an evil God. No. God is God alone. But the devil, not being deity, was created. Not having flesh and blood, he is of the angelic realm. And he was also given the freedom to choose. And he chose to rebel against God. We can derive that through our study of the scriptures. And so he led us this rebellion against God. We do know that there are angels who followed him, and they are called his angels, Matthew 25, 41. And so the devil had led a rebellion or a revolt against the very throne of God, and yet don't misunderstand, don't worry, God's throne cannot be threatened. 
cannot be threatened. At no time was God's throne ever threatened, for God will not and cannot be toppled from his throne. But we see this despicable being called the devil who rebelled against God of heaven and we better know about him. And here's the reason why. Peter reminds us that he is our adversary in 1 Peter 5 and verse 8. And he goes about like a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. Who's next? Who will be next after that person? He's walking about, seeking whom he may devour. So we better have an understanding of who he is. No doubt. What is he doing? He's actively seeking the souls of men and women, boys and girls. He wants to destroy all that which God loves. And thus... We are introduced to him in the Garden of Eden. What do we know about him? Listen to what our Lord Jesus Christ stated concerning the devil, our enemy in John 8 and verse 44. Listen to the language of Jesus as he speaks to these Pharisees. He says, ye are of your father, ye are your father the devil. And the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. For he is a liar and the father of it. Now notice about your enemy, the devil. First of all, we need to know about his motivation. What motivates him to do what he does? Intense hatred for God. That's what he has. Because he hates God, he hates everything that God loves, and that includes you and me. God loves you. But he also loves our internal souls, and Satan doesn't like that. Satan don't want you to spend eternity with God. That's what motivates him. That's what drives him. But we also have to understand his mission. Since his motivation is his hatred for God, his mission, therefore, is to destroy us. He knows God. He knows God loves us. He knows Christ died for us. And so he wants to destroy us. But what is his method? His method, Jesus says, is a lie. It's a falsehood. That's his message. And therefore Paul was admonishing that we are not to be ignorant of his devices. We simply cannot be ignorant. And we cannot be ignorant of his devices. Because the apostle Paul would go on to say in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, he came across in the garden as a very beautiful creature. Very, very friendly. Innocuous. Looking out for Eve. That is, our enemy, the devil, and his tactics. And through his various mediums, he continues to influence you and me the same way today. And many have fallen. 
Many have fallen. Many have fallen because they were ignorant of his subtlety, ignorant of his tactics, ignorant of how their adversary behaves. Friends, don't be ignorant of the devil. Don't be ignorant of God, first off. But you better not be ignorant of the devil as well. That's your enemy. That's my enemy. And then the third place. Don't be ignorant of the judgment. The judgment. Let's go to 2 Peter 3 and let's look at verse 8. And I want you to listen to what the Apostle Peter writes concerning the judgment in this particular passage. And he makes this statement. He says, But beloved... Be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. I'm sure you're familiar with that statement, but it's been made in the context of the judgment. He says, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. You know, I liked when Tom Holland preached on the cross of Christ. And he mentions how that the cross is fresh on God's mind as if it happened two days ago. It is that fresh. It was 2,000 years ago. No, it was like two days ago. For you see, God is not confined by time. And so that helps us as we understand more about the judgment because there are a lot of people who are skeptical about the judgment. Now I don't know everything there is to know or about the judgment. And I can't even begin to comprehend what that day would be like. But we do not know when the judgment will take place. But we do know that it is coming. Matthew 25, 36 to 42. But notice what Peter, he gives us some insight here in 2 Peter 3 concerning the day of judgment. He talks about in verse 3, the scoffers. People that just doubt about the judgment. They are skeptical about it. And he says, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last day scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Oh, we've been hearing about this judgment for a long time. It hasn't happened yet. They showed their ignorance by making the statement. For this they willingly are ignorant of. You see how Peter states that? That by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. He's talking about Noah and the flood, isn't he? No things have, no, things have not always been like they are. That's uniformitarianism and not always been like they are. There was a great deluge at one time. No doubt. God brought judgment against this world at that time. The world was destroyed by water. In verse 7, But the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. 
One time God said he will destroy the world by water. And he did. The next time that the world will be destroyed will be by fire. I, I, you know, it hasn't happened yet. So some are skeptical. I mean, if, if it has not happened, it won't happen. A person can say that because that person is confined by time. It's been a long time since these things were said. Not in that context. Verse 8. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. Right? That one day is with the Lord as a thousand years. And a thousand years as one day. And so in verse 9, notice. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. As some may count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now we know why it hasn't happened yet. But then in verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Right? In the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Don't be ignorant of this one thing Peter is telling us. Just because judgment has not happened, doesn't mean it won't happen. It will happen. Just because the judgment has not yet arrived doesn't mean that it's not going to arrive. And just as God said to Noah, I'll destroy the world with water, and in time he did so, God will destroy this world, this universe, with fire next. Can't you just hear the discussion back in the days of Noah? Where the little boy runs home with his, to his dad. He's trembling, he's frightened, and he says... Calm down, son. What's going on? What, what is it that frightens you? Why are you so troubled? He says, oh, dad, you, you, you have to hear this preacher. I mean, this, this man is preaching about the world being destroyed by water. And he's saying everybody must repent. Everybody must make the necessary changes in their lives. And he's telling his dad of what he heard. His dad starts smiling. And he laughs just a little and he hangs his head down as he listens to his son. And finally the little boy says, Dad, well, he says, are you mocking me? Are, are you thinking that what I'm saying is not true? That, that what I was hearing from this other man and what he was saying? And his dad looks at his son and he says, no, son, I, I'm not mocking you. I believe that is what you heard. I just remembered the time that I ran home to my father. And I told him about the old man down the road preaching that same message. He's been doing that for that even before I was born. Because my daddy, when I told him that, said that he was preaching that when he was a boy. Scoffers. Not going to happen. Been preaching this message a long time. And the judgment hasn't happened yet. Verse 8, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years 
as one day. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. With that in mind, look at verse 11. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? If we are not going to be ignorant about that one day when Jesus comes again, this earth, this universe will go up in a fiery heat. Then we better be mindful of the kind of lives that we live, right? Be too late then, won't it? What manner of persons we ought to be if we have this realization that there is coming a judgment day. Some things, yes, ignorance is bliss. Some things you could know, but maybe you don't know. But that's not necessarily going to hurt you. There may be a lot of things that you don't know that I don't know. There may be some things I know that you don't know. But none of us can afford to be ignorant of the matters that we're talking about even this morning. We cannot be ignorant of God. We cannot be ignorant of Satan, the devil, our enemy. We cannot be ignorant of the judgment. And if we are, if we are ignorant of God, the devil and judgment, we will suffer the consequences throughout all eternity. Here's what we need to know. The God of heaven really lives. And he really does love you and me. He has revealed unto us a plan whereby we can be saved from our our sins and thereby defeat the devil, our enemy. And that means that we can stand before Christ in the judgment justified. What a blessing it is to know these things. To know God has revealed these things to us. To know about our deadly enemy, the devil, so we can avoid him and overcome him. And to know about the judgment for all of us must stand before the judgment seat of Christ. 